0: All y'all podcast listeners, welcome to a new episode of the All Y'all Podcast and my name is Chris J. And I'm
1: Sarah ebert This episode of the All Y'all Podcast is presented by Holiday Lanes in Bojer City. Holiday Lanes plays a very important role in my day job. Um every year our crew competes in a bowling competition at Holiday Lanes that we call Moon Bowl. I work at Moonbot Studios. Get it? It's like, you know, moon- <laughs> We've got a whole like branding pun thing going there. Lots of puns in transport. <laughs> Um, One of our artists, Kenny Calicut, who is an, an enormous man. Yes,
0: he can slam dunk standing on his flat feet. It's insane. He's a
1: giant. <laughs> he is our two time Moon Bowl champion. I mean, this man is unstoppable.
0: Unstoppable on the lanes.
1: So I asked him for a little bit of advice about bowling and what it's like being a two time Moon Bowl champion. Undefeated.
2: Um, it's a very enjoyable experience the competition's great the camaraderie's great Uh, I like how competitive Trish gets it's all great
1: (laughs) Um, what does it say on the the Moonbot Trophy?
2: power, precision, and passion shout out to Kevin Bradley
1: (laughs) (laughs) are those the things that you need to be good at bowling?
2: you just need power
1: if your crew is interested in team building, Holiday Lanes has a great program just for that. To learn more, visit bowlholidaylanes.com.
0: Our next live storytelling event will be our first ever two-night event. It's called All Y'all Live, Mama and Daddy, and it'll be held March 11th and 12th at the East Bank Theater in Bozeman City. Tickets are just $10 per night, and you get food, music, and unforgettable true stories told live on stage without notes. Uh, For more information, visit allyallblog.com, and we're announcing tons of information about this event right now.
1: Yeah, and all you have to do is click the little button at the top of the page that says Tickets, and you can come too. Um, This story that you're about to hear was told by Brandon Oldenburg at our live event, Brush with Fame. Because we've been thinking a lot about parents for our next live event, we sat down to talk to Brandon about his parents, who were really fascinating people.
2: My dad's first gig out of college was a youth minister, from what I understand. He probably did some other things, but see, again, I'm telling this from my perspective and what I know. So, dad was a youth minister in San Antonio, and I have heard of epic things that occurred and that he encouraged as far as creativity, even back then. You know, he would throw these haunted houses and Baptist churches that were epic, apparently. Um, and then, of course, there, was the, there were the musicals that he wrote that at the time, which were kind of groundbreaking from what I understand. He introduced guitars into the church. He was a big fan of Bob Dylan. This was sort of unheard of, and, and there were deacons all over, all over the United States who had gotten these you know, programs to be able to pull these musicals off with their own youth groups, and they required electric guitars in the church. So deacons were unplugging guitars in the middle of their performances, all over. It was crazy. It was was madness. What were the musicals like? So they were really groovy. So uh, the first one was called Good News. And I I can get you guys, like, digital versions of these tracks. Really? They're pretty awesome. Yeah. There's one. This first one that he did was called Good News. And in the middle of the the first track, um, there's a plant in the audience. It's a youth, a kid, like a deadbeat. And he stands up. He's like, what is this? And he starts questioning everything, and it's all part of the show. It was another thing that uh, my dad was doing prior to me being introduced to the family, but uh, also I got a little taste of it, was that he organized a, a bus that was sort of looked like a Partridge family bus, and they did puppets out of it, and they would go to um, – these, you know, underprivileged neighborhoods and perform out of the bus with all these puppets. And then it became like this thing, this whole, you know, song and dance thing with puppets. From a very young age, I always remember being behind the puppet curtain with my brothers or sisters and doing puppet shows.
1: We are so excited to share Brandon's story. For those of you who don't know, Brandon co-founded Moonbot Studios here in Shreveport and went on to win an Oscar for his directorial work on the animated short film, The Fantastic Flying Books of Mr. Morris lussmore The story he shared on stage is about the unexpected way Brandon became that very co-founder of MoonBot.
2: Hi. I'm so honored to have been invited to do this. I think what Chris and Sarah have been doing with all y'all is a fantastic thing. To be able to tell this story, it's pretty much about how um, my wife and I and our kids ended up, and our grandparents here, um, the kids' grandparents, have all ended up here in Shreveport. And I'm going to have to give some context, I think. Uh, It's going to have to go back to around 1982, 1983. So you've you've got this little 10-year-old white boy who loved you know, anything pop culture, especially whatever sort of cool thing could be on the TV or the, or the movie screen or on the radio. It was the 25th anniversary of Motown and they had a special that was recorded and then aired on television a few uh, weeks later. And on, on the stage, Michael Jackson came out and he did the moonwalk. And like many other little ten-year-old white boys, we were all trying to figure out how to do it on the playground the next day. And um, I'd been making home movies and been drawing pictures as, lo- as far as I can remember. And around that time, uh, my older brother, who had inspired me, had um, come into some access with some video gear. My sister, my older sister, and I started to think through what we could make, like a movie at home. And we, uh, you know, I was like, "Well, Michael Jackson's really cool. Maybe we could do like a music video to beat it." And so there was a. Uh, Another video called "Eat It" that was uh, really funny. And we really liked it, so it was sort of a hybrid, uh, sort of hat tip to both those videos. And I invited my friends over and I storyboarded it out, and we made this music video. That was a big deal to me to be able to kind of get into and be inspired by Michael. More importantly, later, I think in December of that same year. Uh, it was a Friday night at my best buddy's house, playing video games. I think we were playing Yara's Revenge, trying to stay up to midnight for Friday night music videos, and they premiered, the world premiere of Thriller on television, and, f- and for us, and, and those that, that were around that time, it was like the Ed Sullivan Beatles moment, and from that point on, there was this interesting culmination happening between music and dance and what was happening on the radio, what was happening on television, there was this thing called MTV, and the world really started to open up at that point for me, and really started to sink in and inspired me, more so with music videos than probably film or anything. And so, that was a big deal, and to have been inspired by all those things, and to make this music video, and we had it on a VHS tape, I don't know why we didn't, but I was really, I, I, at one point we thought, you know, we should, we should mail that to Michael Jackson, we should figure out where to mail this to like some fan club and send it to him. And uh, we never did, and I sat on that VHS tape for a long time. Now, I'm going to have to fast forward now. Coming out of art school uh, inspired by all of this stuff, you know, taking me down this career path to um, hooking up with some friends from high school to start uh, an animation studio. And our dreams and aspirations were sure to make, you know, do commercials and make enough money to maybe we can make some movies, some animated CGI features. And we slowly grew this company from just a couple of guys to um, over 150. And then at a certain point, after having been with this company for about 15 years and building lots of interesting, and exciting friendships and relationships with people, I was starting to do some really great things. I had reached out to a gentleman you may have heard of who lives here in town named William Joyce, and he and I started to really hit it off and started to develop stories with the intention to get those made into movies one day. And uh, these things were starting to look really um, good and that potentially that could actually happen. It didn't happen exactly, you know, like... With many of our lives and our our sort of plans, you know, you you think you're going to go in the straight line to this goal, and it really kind of goes somewhere else, but you kind of get to your wishes. This sort of uh, happened with one of these stories that we developed for a long time called uh, The Guardians of Childhood, which eventually we, um, as a company, sold to DreamWorks to be turned into what was called uh, Rise of the Guardians. Now, that was exciting, but it was also heartbreaking for me, because it was something that I had hoped that we would do at our studio, not to sell And at that point, it just started to change for me. I felt like a stranger in my own company. New opportunities start to arise. And one of which was uh, talking with Bill, and and this was shortly after Katrina, there were opportunities to potentially start a new studio and do things a little differently here in Shreveport. But at the same time, my wife and I were considering um, acquiring a new home in a better school district for our kids as, as they were starting to get old enough to start to go to school. You know, but I, I didn't tell her that this opportunity might happen in Shreveport. I should have, because we sold our house, and it was 2008, you know, if you remember. But that was a really bad time to get a new house, and then, well, anyway. Uh, <laughs> we put a lot of money into it, and we remodeled. It was a great house. And we were, you know, I remember walking my uh, oldest daughter to kindergarten every day. It was a perfect location. It was awesome. Things were great. But still, something was empty with me going to work every day. And this opportunity seemed interesting, but at the same time, it just you know, we'll see if this is real. Um, then, somewhere along the way, a new opportunity arose for us at the studio, which was to um, potentially do this awesome animated content for an IMAX stereoscopic concert film for Michael Jackson. It sounded too good to be true for me, like, to, like, you know, it wasn't like getting footage in from a director and then, you know, dialing in and adding matte paintings and doing blue screen work. This is actually like to collaborate, really kind of get in there and and, and I was gonna be the creative director for this. I was gonna to get to direct all the animated content for this concert film. Now, Michael had just announced this concert tour called This Is It, and I'm like, wow, well, I better get on with this, this is it, right? I should be a part of this. <laughs> this sounds amazing. This is like, like, like you know, it's, it's talking to me, it's talking to my 10-year-old self, you know, the, 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 that kid who had been dreaming and was totally inspired by what was happening in culture at that time. So for me, it was obviously a big deal. Went out to California with the, um, the potential to be able to meet the entire cast and, and crew that was creating this live concert event. So over the course of this day, um, we were told we were going to meet Michael in the morning. And I was super nervous and excited about this. And I had even recently had uh, dumped my VHS copy of my music video into a digital format on my laptop. And I'm like, I'm going to finally get to show him. <laughs> But um, w- w- when I showed up, there were a lot of suits. There were a lot of you know executives that were part of this pulp production, and it and, and it felt a little weird. And like maybe I don't know. I'm just gonna keep it queued up in my backpack. If, you know, I'm not sure how to play this. I don't want to ruin it and make it awkward. So, um, but either way, the morning didn't start with meeting Michael. It it, it started with well, Michael's kind of busy. He's kind of oh, okay, he's running a little late. And then eventually, like well, Michael, yeah, he's um he you know, just decided to just jump right in. This is gonna be his first day. He's gonna do an entire. Uh, run through in, in costume and sing, literally sing every song. We'll just have to play it by ear, but we're going to introduce you to the people doing the VFX for the, the video content that was on the screens for the live show. So, met those guys, meet a dance choreographer, costume designer, I just got to meet every creative component of the production, which was really exciting to me, even the director. And then it, it, as the day grew on and we kept waiting and waiting and waiting, just like, okay, what's going to happen is you're going to meet Michael once, once they're done with everything, and, you just gotta, and they gave us these strange coordinates to this certain location, which was a nondescript sort of soundstage warehouse area near the Burbank Airport. Now. You know, Hollywood is full of sound stages, beautiful back lots and sound. There are amazing sound stages, lots, but this was you know, there was nothing pretty about this, and I think it may be intentional. They told us to go to this one place, and there wasn't any paparazzi around. There was uh, there's maybe two people that were kind of in on it, and they were standing on a corner with some cameras. So you kind of go, okay, 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 we must be close. They must know something we don't. Go in there, and it's completely vacant, completely empty, and it's a complete dump, like most sound stages are when they're not inhabited by film crews. Uh, and then we're told to walk down to this one corner. We see a couple of little kids doing homework with a, you know, with a union teacher. I didn't pay much attention to who they were, but I think it was Blanket, and I'm not sure what their names were. But it kept going, and then eventually to a big courtyard. And there, there's two black SUVs with the engines running, and there's very large bodyguards. And it's in a little alcove, not even out in the open where a helicopter could see. And then we're told to go back there, and then we're told to go to right, and we're told to go into this little room, and there's. Carpet, it's got all these stains all over it, and there's a f- sort of flickering fluorescent light. And I'm like, This isn't what I had imagined at all. <laughs> You're gonna meet Michael right around this corner, is what, th- what they told us. We go around this corner, and then we're greeted by a young 20 something African American gentleman uh, named Michael, and he introduces himself to us. I'm like, oh, and so, oh, I, uh, hey, so what's going on? And he's like, Well, I'm Michael's assistant. And he'll be right here. We wait a little longer, and then, sure enough, Michael comes in. But he's the Michael from the poster on the wall. He is the Billy Jean Michael. He's wearing the sunglasses. He's wearing the hat. He's wearing the glove. He's wearing the penny loafers, the high water pants, everything. And, and, and now I understood. It's like he literally had just come off the stage with the dress rehearsal. And of course, Billy Jean was like the last song that they were to do. So he literally looks the way he did from my, you know, "We Are the World" memory. And there he was, and he walks in the room, and there's a small person that comes up to him with a bowl of candy, and he selects through the candy, and then he puts on some hand lotion, and then he, he sort of leans against the wall, and he looks kind of exhausted. I'm like, yeah, he's got to be so tired, right? I mean, he's been doing this all day, and, um, and all the suits are there with me. I've got my backpack, <laughs> and... We're introduced, and I go up and shake his hand. And I don't know if it was the hand that had the glove on it. I'm sure they had put it in a box somewhere already. But it was he was very, very, very large, much taller than I expected, and his hands were much squishier and larger than I expected. I always thought he would be sort of frail and bony and kind of, like, you know, really sort of trim. But he was a, he's a big guy. You know, I've only seen him on TV sets. Um, so... <laughs> There he is. There's Michael, and it's for real. And the one thing that sort of stood out to me most was his, uh, his stubble. It's like, oh, it's really sort of popped against the contrast of the lighter skin. And uh, I was like, of course, he hasn't shaved. He's been working all day, and he's got this stubble, and it's so there. And just never seen Michael with facial hair. Um, and so there we were, and, and, and we shook hands, and he was really, really nice and light-spoken, is that how you say it? But he was just really quiet, and he didn't take his sunglasses off, and he's like, I'm really excited to work with you. This is gonna be awesome. And it was just really more of an introductory meeting. And I just sort of felt the room, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not gonna pull out the laptop. <laughs> Uh, I'll do I'll do that when I see him. He's like, yeah. So we'll, suits are like, yeah. We'll see Michael, and like it's only like four weeks. And we'll see you at the Staples Center, or whatever you know. We'll we'll get into it. We're, just, we're so happy to be part of the team. He's off. SUVs are gone. Kind of look around like that was crazy and awesome. I'm so excited. And and then they hand us these plane tickets to come back out to the Staples Center, where the final sort of stages of rehearsal. We'll start, and then from there, it seemed like it was actually happening. And then we sort of look at the calendar, and it's like, well, we, well you're going to be taking your family to London. and We'll really get into it there. I'm like, wow, this is going to be amazing. And so, I get back in my rental car, and I'm like, what's that smell? What is that? And then I'm like, this, this sort of almond butter jasmine smell on my hands. <laughs> it's like, that's Michael. <laughs> it's on my hands. It's like permeating the car, and then and then later that night in the hotel room, I'd kind of forgotten it was. You know, I called home and we talked. I was like, "You can't believe this! I met Michael Jackson! This is crazy!" And and then I and I like, turn the light out and I go to bed and I pull up the sheets and I'm like, "That's that's Michael again! There it is!" It's like, it's like there's I and mean, it's a very private, intimate moment with Michael. And anyway, I'm um, gonna leap ahead a few days. Uh, so. Uh, my friends and now partners uh, over here in Shreveport were calling and saying, hey, you, you know, you got your spring break coming up. We really want you to get over here and talk more seriously about potentially you and helping us start the studio. It'll be awesome. So like, okay, well, I'll, you know, Shannon's got to come. The kids have got to come. They've got to visualize themselves in Shreveport if we're going to even entertain this. And we come over, and we spend a week in Shreveport. It's pretty cool. And, and, and what was interesting for Shannon and I, we had only seen Kings Highway. You know, every time we'd come to visit Shreveport, we'd just see King's Highway. We, you know, we love it. We've been to Strawn's a hundred times, been to Centenary Campus thousands of times. You know, the, above the admissions building is where Bill's offices were at the time. We were going to spend a week, and we, we had. And every day, we'd talk over breakfast, Shannon and I, and she'd like, so what are you thinking? And I'm like, I don't know. This is crazy. I mean, it seems legit. This guy Lampton, he's like the real deal. It, he, he really like I've seen what he does with all these movies. He actually says something, and it actually happens. Uh, I don't know. I feel really good about this. Um, and I was like, well, what do we, we? You know, you need to make up your mind because like we got to like figure out the kids going to school. We got to get this house on the market. Which you know, by the way, you know, we, I took all of my inheritance and put it in the house remodeling this kitchen. Um, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. This is a really, really difficult decision here. And so the last day we spent in Shreveport that morning over breakfast, uh, you know, I didn't say it wasn't dramatic. I didn't say this. It wasn't drawn out. It was just a part of a long series of words. But somewhere in the middle of those words, I said, it's like I need a sign or something. But then I kept going, I kept going. We'll go up to uh, the offices where Bill is and we'll just talk. And I go up there. You know, it was one of those hot days, the cicadas are loud. It's quiet, nobody's outside because it's too hot. And um, I get a phone call from Shannon uh, and she's like, turn on CNN right now. I'm like, what's going on? She's like, well, it looks like Michael Jackson's having a cardiac arrest. It says that at the bottom of the screen. I'm like, what? And there's only one person I confided in, my best friend back at the other studio in Dallas. He texted me immediately, and he goes, I guess you're moving to Shreveport. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he's just, he's, I, mean, I, I mean, I understand Michael. Maybe, I'm, like, this is time I'm trying to register all of this. And then I, I turned to Bill, and I said, Michael Jackson's having a heart attack. Let's turn on CNN. Let's turn this on. And then he's like, what? And he, t- he calls Elizabeth, his wife. He's like, Michael's having a heart attack. And she's like, what? A shark attack? I didn't know he surfed. <laughs> I'm like... It's just it's that crazy thing, right? You know how the gossip and the phone text sort of this spreads and turns into this madness and, and, and sure enough, I'm like, I'm getting this text. and I'm looking at it. You're moving to Shreveport. I'm like, we're, we're moving to Shreveport. That's what we're gonna do. And so, um, I uh, called Shannon back. I'm like, I guess, yeah, we've made up our... Uh, I didn't have to make up my mind. Uh, this seems like the right thing to do. And, um, we started our journey to creating this, this animation studio. What felt like a really scary, awesome thing, and um, you know what? I I I guess it, it turned out okay because uh, we 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 did this uh, short film. People seemed to like it, and one thing led to another, and here we are. So, I. Uh, I guess that's it. And, and if you want to see the music video, I, I posted it on YouTube the day Michael had passed, but it was taken down by BMG because of the music rights to beat it. But I'll, I'll try posting it again, and we'll see what happens. Um, all right.
0: Thanks, for thanks to All Y'all for listening to another episode of the All Y'all Podcast.
1: We also want to say thanks to Maccentric, who sponsored the All Y'all podcast and also take great care of the two Macs we use to produce All Y'all. They're Shrewport, Boziers' only locally owned Apple authorized service provider. If you need help with your iPhone, Mac, or other Apple products, you can find them at maccentric.net.
0: And you don't have to be able to, to talk in smart terms about what's wrong with your machine. Uh, I took my computer in and told him it sounded like someone was... Um, uh, was grinding (laughs) rocks inside of it and he was able to identify there was actually not anyone there were
1: no rocks inside the computer
0: No, there was no mining operation inside of my computer but he was able (laughs) to stop it from making the grinding sound don't forget to pick up your tickets to our next live storytelling event mama and daddy they're on our website it's www.allyallblog.com There's also an archive of nearly 30 episodes of All Y'all that you can listen to on our website, or you can subscribe to us in the iTunes store. Also, we've got like a really pathetic following on Twitter right now. We have like 45 followers because I just set up the account.
1: And we don't really tweet, but maybe if we hit 50, we'll tweet more.
0: Oh man, 50? (laughs) Do you think we can get the <laughs> fifty? If you're on the, the Twitter, the Tweeter. The, the Tutor? Twitter, the Tutor. <laughs> if you're on Twitter, um, it's at all y'all podcast. All y'all podcast. Hit us up. We'll DM you and all the stuff that the kids are doing these days.
1: (laughs) So before we DM you or whatever, we're going to go out on this episode of the podcast on a recording that Brandon shared with us of um, an album that his dad, Bob Oldenburg, put together. It's called Real, A Soul Experience. And in Brandon's words, it's really groovy.
0: It is groovy. Take a listen for yourself. I believe. I believe
1: in, I believe in you, God, the great creator of majestic mountains.